In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. God willing, today we're going to study um, 2 Kings chapter 12 uh, and 13. Uh, last time we studied chapters 9, 10, and 11. Does anyone want to give a brief summary of some of the main highlights of what happened in those chapters that we studied? You know I'm going to ask this question. Jehu. So who's that? that he went he killed the house of Ahab and then he killed the priests of Baal and he killed somebody else another group of people he killed everyone he killed everybody and the grandma there was a grandma who killed <laughs> all her grandchildren yes <laughs> okay good That's so those are the highlights of everything yeah though so Jehu, he was anointed to be king of Israel. God wanted him to become the king. And he told him to go and to destroy all of the house of Ahab. Okay. So at the time, the, the king uh, of Israel, who was of the line of Ahab, remember his name? Joram, also known as Jehoram. Okay. So he goes by Joram and Jehoram. And so he told him to go kill him and all of the house of Ahab. He also killed the king of Judah who was Ahaziah, okay? Um, after this happened, uh, who was going to become king or who was going to rule? Uh, Jehu was going to be the king of Israel, but because Judah, uh, the southern kingdom, also now did not have a king, so they were going to choose a king from among the descendants of Ahaziah, like his children. But the mother or the grandmother of those heirs wanted to be in rule. So she went and she killed all of her grandchildren so that there would be no heir except for one. You remember the name of the one? Huh? No. Joash. Okay, Joash. Um, so Joash, he was hidden, okay, by the priests until he became seven years old and then he was anointed king and after he was anointed king Athaliah, which is the his grandmother was killed okay that was the gist of what we studied last time so just so you can kind of see here okay um on the left there is the kingdom of judah so you see Ath ahaziah okay who was killed Ataliah, the queen, she became, she ruled for six years. And then after that, Joash he ruled for 40 years. Okay? That's where we are now. Yes. Yes, well, there's, there's, there's a lot of duplicates of the names. It's not the same. Yeah, not the same. Okay? We'll look at this again a little later on. Okay? So, now the other thing to keep in mind is Joash is also called Jehoash. So, so Joash and Jehoash is the same person, okay? All right? Also, to make it more interesting, um, there is also a Jehoash. Uh, there, 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 there's, there's one in the north and one in the south, okay? So I'll try my best to be as clear as possible so we can know who we're talking about, okay? Right now, we're going to be talking about Joash, who is the seven-year-old king, after he became king of Judah, he is now going to start working to repair the temple. 
In the seventh year of Jehu, so whenever they give the timing, okay, they'll give the timing according to the other kingdom. So who is the king right now in Israel? Jehu. The seventh year of his reign, okay, Joash or Jehoash from the southern kingdom became the king. And he reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem, okay? His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba, okay? So who is now the, 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 the king of the north and the king of the south? Jehoash or Joash, okay? Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. So one thing about this king, uh, Joash, his life was divided into two parts. The first part of his life, is when he was still young and he was being guided and instructed by the priest, Jehoiada. Okay, he was the priest. He was the one actually who was protecting Joash as a child and protected him until he became seven years old and he's the one who uh, orchestrated him coming to power and all of this. Okay, so as long as he is with Jehoiada and Jehoiada is alive with him, everything's great with Joash. Okay, the second part though, of his life is after Jehoiada dies and he is no longer being instructed by him and he is now making decisions and things on his own we see a change happen in the life of Joash and this is um, we can read about in the book of Chronicles second Chronicles so uh, Kings and Chronicles are like parallel accounts they don't all they don't have all the same things some things are the same like some things they will mention the exact same events some things will be mentioned only in one and some things mentioned only in the other so here, Second Chronicles chapter 24 mentions what happens after the death of Jehoiada. Okay, so it says, Now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king. Who is the king? The king we're talking about is Jehoash or Joash. Okay, so after the priest that was instructing Joash died, Jehoiada, it says after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. So even though Joash starts out very good and he does a lot of good and he, he helps to repair the temple and to do all of these things, but toward the end of his life after the influence of Jehida is no longer there, all of the other people come now to him and it says they bow down to him and the king listened to them, right? Listen to them. Um, sometimes we... Uh, are good uh, but maybe the reason that we are good is because there is some external factor in our life that is keeping us on the narrow path right so one obvious example is children who have parents right like the parents are the ones that are watching them telling them what they should do right and wrong giving them curfews giving them rules things that they have to follow and so if you were to look at the life of such a child growing up in such an environment maybe you'll see that it's good like they're they're doing good okay but what happens the moment that all of those rules and all of that environment and all of that supervision and everything goes away? Now you begin to test, like, who is really this person? Are they motivated on their own to do what is good? Or are they only doing it because they were forced to do it? I'm not saying that Joash here was being forced against his will to do what Jehoiada said, but he was positively influenced with Jehoiada to where he was giving and making all of these good and positive choices because he felt like that was the right thing. But the moment that Jehoiada no longer was in the picture and now his influence was coming from a different group of people, right, then his decisions changed. And so again, maybe a person is very, influ you know, influenceable, 
right? Whatever whatever group I happen to be with, that is the group that I'm going to listen to. That's the group that I'm going to absorb from them, like my morality, my you know what I consider to be good, and what is it that I'm willing to do. I'm going to absorb that from the people who I'm with, not necessarily from certain principles that I want to follow. Okay. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Okay. So as we said before. We shouldn't be looking at people as like 100% good, 100% bad. Like here, even during those period of time where Joash was good and he was following the instructions of Jehida, it says what the high places were not taken away. What were the high places again? So they were, they were, they, the, the pagans set up the high places for the purpose of worshiping the pagan gods. But when the Israelites were using them, they were not necessarily worshiping the pagan gods. They were worshiping God, but through these shrines and temples and things that that the that, that were set up for those other gods so it was more of them like wanting to worship the way that they've seen the other nations worship right so so this isn't as bad as worshiping those gods right because Baal worship right one of the things that Jehu did remember is he destroyed all of the Baal worshipers right so so he the the, the Baal worship uh, was better okay but they still had these high places. And Jehoiah said to the priests, all the money of the dedicated gifts that are brought into the house of the Lord, each man's census money, each man's assessment money, and all the money that a man purposes in his heart to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priests take it themselves, each from his constituency, and let them repair the damages of the temple wherever any dilapidation is found. Okay? So by this time, there had been years and years and decades of neglect of the temple. And there had been active attempts to destroy the temple, right? Like by Jezebel, for instance. So um, also, Athaliah, who was the previous ruler, right? She was the queen before um, Joash, okay? Had moved the articles that were in the temple to the temple of Baal, okay? And we read about this. In Second Chronicles 24 also, it says, For the sons of Ataliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baals. Okay? So, <clears throat> so, so there was great, like, like the temple was in shambles. Both the physical structure as well as the items that had been consecrated, dedicated. When you read, you know, like <clears throat> if you go way back, we read about Solomon and how he made all of these things and how glorious it was at the time and how glorious the temple was and all the gold and all the things he made, right? All of that stuff had now been destroyed, stolen, plundered, given away, uh, all of that. So here, Joash, or Jehoash, is saying, well, we need money in order to uh, rebuild and in order to restore everything. So he gives here three sources of money. The first money, he says what? Is each man's census money. Okay, what is the census money? God had commanded in the book of Exodus that every person is to pay a money according to like 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 a tax. Okay, but the, the, the tax was called the census tax or census money because it's just based on each person would pay a certain amount. So every person who was older than 20 years old would pay half of a shekel. Okay, and we read this in Exodus 30. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, 
Then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. So this is the census. Whenever they would do the census, everyone would be called to pay some, uh, some money um, to the temple. Okay, so that's the first source of money that's mentioned. The second source of money, it says each man's assessment money. What is the assessment money? Assess <coughs> assessment money is kind of like a, a property tax, but it wasn't just on the property. It was like based on, like not just like property as in like real estate, but it was like all the things that a person owns, right? They would be an assessment and the person would pay a tax based on that. The third is, he says what? and all the money that a man purposes in his heart to bring into the house of the Lord. Meaning if anyone wants to give any discretionary donations, uh, has moved to want to give to the house of God any extra money on top of this, all of this money will be collected by the priests so that we can use it to um, repair the temple. Now it was so, by the 23rd year of King Joash, that the priests had not repaired the damages of the temple. So King Joash called Jehoiada the, the priest and the other priests and said to them, Why have you not repaired the damages of the temple? Now therefore do not take more money from your constituency, but deliver it for repairing the damages of the temple. Okay, so what was happening? What was happening? The priests were? They were just taking the money. Right, they were taking the money, but they were not using it to repair the temple. And so the king it says, after the twenty-third year of King Joash, right? So he was how old when he became king? Seven. Now he's thirty years old, right? And he had given this command some time ago, right? And he's saying, "Why are you not? Why is the temple still in ruins? Why hasn't the temple been repaired?" Okay. So they were collecting the money but not using it. So what did the king tell them to do? He says, "Stop collecting money." Right, stop collecting the money. You keep collecting this money, but you're not using it to repair the temple. We need to take the money we've already collected and use it in the right way to repair the temple. There is no temple in Israel. It's only in Judah. The wha what is it that they had in Israel was the two golden calves that Jeroboam had set up in Bethel and Dan. Right? So there's only a temple in Judah. And right now we're talking about Judah. And the priests agreed that they would neither receive more money from the people nor repair the damages of the temple. So wh wh why is it saying that they would not repair the damage of the temple? Because pretty much the priests were removed from their authority to have anything to do with this project, right? They're no longer going to collect money. They're no longer going to do the repairs. The work is going to be done and supervised by a different group of people, and the priests are going to be out of it, okay? Then Jehoiada the priest took a chest bored a hole in its lid, set it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord, and the priest who kept the door put there all the money brought into the house of the Lord. So what did he make? Donation box, right? He couldn't buy one from like Home Depot, so he, he made one himself. So it was whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest that the king's scribes and the high priest came up and put it in the bags, put it in bags and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. So whenever uh, they would see that there's a sufficient amount of money in the box, they would take it and they would repair what they could with that with that money. Then they gave the money. One thing I do want to mention about that is 
sometimes we like to do things like all or nothing. Like either everything is perfect and wonderful and exactly right, or I don't, I don't even try, right? Like somebody could have said, well, this temple is in, in a state of ruin and, and, you know, we shouldn't even be using the temple, right? We need to get all the money. We need to make a big project and fix it all up. And then once it's fixed and ready to go, then we can start praying and using the temple. But this approach that they did was no. Yeah, the temple is in ruins, but we're still going to use the temple. Um, it's still the house of God. We still believe that God's presence is here. And as the people come into the temple, they're going to give the donations. And then over a longer period of time, we are going to gradually, slowly repair, repair, repair the temple. And this is an important principle because um, sometimes if, if we have in our mind that everything has to be exactly perfect in order for us to, to take a step, right, then that, that time will never come. Like, for instance, some people will say, you know, why is it that you don't want to start serving in the church? It's like, well, I'm not ready to serve. Right. Well, what is it you need to have to be ready to serve? Right. And maybe they list like a big, long list of things like I have to know this. I have to have this. I have to. That. Well, actually, the greatest way for you to gain all those things is to start serving in the church and then you will learn those things. You know, it strikes me like whenever we see these images of churches, like I remember there was one church that had been burned and bombed in Egypt um, and it was like completely like ash. And the, the congregation of the church still came and they prayed a liturgy there in the midst of the ash right like of the of the church like they didn't say well because the church is destroyed then we're not going to use it no we're still going to use it and we still believe that god is present in it so um this idea that we are we are going to give also that where is the source of the giving right who is it that is providing the money god could have easily come and said well you know i know you want to repair the temple and this is my temple and so I am going to repair it for you. Um, here's all the resources, here's all the money, and give it to you and all at once, and, and now you can do it, right? But that they would, the people would have lost out on a blessing because here the people are the ones making sacrifice in order for it to be built, you know, in order for it to be built, meaning we care about this place. This is our place. This is the place that we want in, for ourselves and for our children in order to worship God, and so I'm willing to give of it. You know, King David, when he was wanting to buy the threshing floor where the original site of the temple was going to be. Um, the man who owned the threshing floor that was going to sell it to King David told him, no, if this you're going to use this to build like a house of worship, I will give it to you for free. And King David said, no, I cannot, I cannot offer to the Lord with that which costs me nothing. Like it has to cost me something, right? I'm, I'm demonstrating that I'm giving, making a sacrifice for God in order to purchase this, right, from myself. So this is another important principle even when it comes to building the church. Like some people might say, you know, it would be great if like a really wealthy person who had millions of dollars came and donated millions of dollars to the church so that we could build the church. But I, I would say no, I would prefer not. Like I would rather that the people from the church all feel that like this is their place and that they want to invest in it, right? And in this way, they will feel like a connection to it. They will feel like this is, like we wanted this, we gave of ourselves to build it rather than somebody swoops in and just like, okay, you know, now it's there for free. The thing that you don't toil for or labor for or work for, you, you, you value it less, right? Whereas the thing that you, you put your blood, sweat, and tears in, that thing you will value more. <coughs> then they gave the money, 
which had been apportioned into the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to the carpenters and builders who worked on the house of the Lord, and to masons and stone cutters, and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damage of the house of the Lord, and for all that was paid out to repair the temple. So they're hiring all of these craftsmen. However, there were, were not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, any articles of gold or articles of silver from the money brought into the house of the Lord. Right. So what they were focusing on was the building of the structure. The structure itself was being repaired, but the, the inside was still empty. Like all of the articles, all of the articles of gold, all the things that, the, that God had called King Solomon to make and to get, dedicate, all of those things were no longer there. Right. So because they had been plundered. But they gave that to the workmen and they repaired the house of the Lord with it. Moreover, they did not require an account from the men into whose hands they delivered the money to be paid to the workmen for they dealt faithfully. So those workmen. Right. They were faithful workers. They didn't try to ask them like, you know, make an account like where is the stuff that we gave you? What are you doing with the money? And so on. They trusted them and and and, and the people worked. The money from the trespass offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priests. So according to the, 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 the rights of the offering of the sacrifices, there were certain types of sacrifices that were um, specifically allocated for sustaining the priests. Those were given to the priests, but all of those other types of money and donation that we had discussed were given to um, the people. Now, at this point in time, Okay, this is where Jehoiada the priest dies at this at this time. It's not mentioned here. Um, I don't think this is I don't think this is mentioned uh, here. Yeah, this is not mentioned here. It's mentioned in Second Chronicles. But this period of time is the place where he is going to die. And at this point, Joash, he forsakes the worship of God. Okay, and he turns to idol worship and 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 and, and all of Judah again returns to idol worship. And it's very sad, right? Because like you're here building the temple, right? But but at the same time, you 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 kind of like are working against yourself. And sometimes we do this. Part of us wants what is good. Like part of us wants to do good. Part of us wants to pray. Part of us wants to fast. Part of us wants to serve others. Parts of us wants to follow God's command. But there is another part that wants to do the opposite. It wants to work against all of those things. And we find ourselves sometimes working in both directions simultaneously and then it just causes frustration and makes us to collapse because we are not able to maintain the one you know like as we are trying to do good we find that our efforts are hindered we find that i am unable to to thrive to grow to to, to transform i i feel like i'm stuck in the same place for a long time maybe because i'm not completely fully 100 percent into this because there's a part of me that is that i'm reserving back there are certain sins that are beloved that I do not want to confess, that I do not want to stop. There are certain relationships, there are certain things in my life that I refuse to address. And so whatever spiritual progress that I'm trying to make, um, I find it to be frustrated. I find it, uh, I'm, I'm not able to bear the fruit that I want. Um, Jehoiada the priest's son was named Zechariah, okay? And he tried to stop this from happening okay he tried to stop this started to stop joash from doing this after the death of Jehoiada. okay we read about this in second chronicles 24 
It says, Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he also has forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son. Okay, killed his son. This is the same king, right? The seven-year-old king who was made king, who was working to build the temple. He is the one who, you know, consented to the stoning, right? He commanded the stoning of this man who is the son of his mentor, the son of the man who actually is the one who made him to be the king and protected him and kept him safe in all of this. He killed his son. And he killed his son, why? Not because of any personal vendetta against him, but simply because he stood in his way from accomplishing what he had decided, which was to work against God. So you see again how a person can start very good, on very good um, path, and be given everything that they need to succeed from the beginning. And yet at some point in the future, they are given opportunities and, and decisions that they make, which works against all that they have built, and that there is everything that they've built gets collapsed, gets destroyed, right? Because of the decisions that they they chose to do. One um, possibility, and again, this isn't clear, but one possibility is in Luke chapter eleven, verse fifty-one. Uh, Christ is speaking um, uh, to the Pharisees and rebuking them, and he says to them, "From the blood of Abel, which is Abel the son of Adam." to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple, yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. This verse, when it's mentioning the, the blood of Zechariah here, different people had different uh, interpretations of which Zechariah this was. Some people say this was the prophet Zechariah, although there is no record of the prophet Zechariah dying in this way. Okay, So some people say that this man here, Zechariah, is the, is the man. Okay? Even though in a different gospel it says about this man Zechariah, this is Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, okay, which here we know that this is the son of Jehoiada, okay, but one of the possibilities is that this man is the one whom the Lord was speaking about in verse in Luke eleven fifty one, when he's speaking about the blood of Zechariah. Who is it who is responsible for killing this man Zechariah? It is the Israelites, the, 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 the Jewish people. They, they killed him because he stood up against their Id idol worship, and so they, they had him killed. Okay. So now we're in the second phase of Joash's life. Haziel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. Then Haziel set his face to go up to Jerusalem. And Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that his fathers, Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaz uh, Ahaziah, kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred things, and all the gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and in the king's house, and sent them to Haziel, king of Syria. Then he went away from Jerusalem. So what did he do, Joash? Hmm? He paid him. He, he, he gave him a ransom, a tribute. He says, we're going to give you everything. We're going to give you all this gold, all the sacred things. We're going to give you absolutely everything, okay, so that you can leave us alone, right? And this is tragic here because 
Again, all of these things are the things that had been made specifically for the house of the Lord. All the stuff that they had been working toward and rebuilding the temple and all the other things, like like he just gave it away. He, g- he gave it completely away. And we don't see here any attempt for him to like um, ask God for his protection, to help them overcome the Syrians, to, 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 to look for other options, right? You can see here that in his mind, this was such a trivial thing. Okay, I'm going to give you all of this gold, all of this stuff, right? He's not seeing it as being sacred, consecrated, dedicated to God in any way. He's seeing it just as, okay, it'll get me out of trouble. I can I can pay this, and it'll get me out of trouble, and I don't really have any strong attachment, any feelings of attachment to it. Um, uh, and you see very clearly, like, he doesn't, he doesn't care. He doesn't care at all. Again, very, very big change that happened in the life of this king. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Okay, so how did he die? It says, And his servants arose and formed a conspiracy and killed Joash in the house of the Milo, which goes down to Selah. The Milo was a fortification that had been built by King Solomon, where Joash had went there to take refuge, and his own people, his own servants, killed him because of all that he had done. He, 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 he presided over the destruction of the nation, over the destruction of, of all of the articles of God, all the sacred things, all the gold. He gave it all away, right? And so, so he was not, at this point, he was not well liked. For Josachar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servant struck him. So he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. And then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Okay? So who is now the king of Judah? Amaziah. Amaziah is now the king of Judah in the south. Any questions so far? Okay. Now, we are um, going to go where now? We're going to go back to the north. Okay. Now we're, now we're back in the north. In the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah. Now, I don't think remember that when we go from like chapter to chapter here. We kind of go back in time a little bit. Well, we just talked about how Joash just died. Okay, but now we're going to go a little back in time because, meanwhile, while all that stuff was happening in the south, other stuff is happening in the north. So, in the twenty-third year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, the one who we were just talking about, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned seventeen years. Okay, so who is this? So, go back to this. Uh, this okay so remember jehu was the, was the king in in the in the north here on the right side now who is king the son of jehu is jehoahaz okay jehoahaz and he did evil in the sight of the lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, all their days. So Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the works of who? Jeroboam. Who is Jeroboam? The first king of Israel. He is the one whom God appointed to be the king of Israel after Rehoboam, the son of David, 
was made a foolish decision and it caused the split of the kingdom. So remember, Jeroboam was the first one who introduced idol worship to Israel. Okay, ten tribes in Israel, two tribes in Judah. All ten of those tribes fell into idol worship, and he built the two golden calves in the cities of Bethel and Dan because he didn't want them to go to the southern kingdom to worship at the temple. So he introduced this idol worship, this form of idol worship there in the north. Now, you'll notice here the name Ben-Hadad again. Remember, Ben-Hadad was the king before Haziel. Who's the one who killed Ben-Hadad? Haziel. Remember when, when Elisha came to him and he told Haziel that he's going to be the king? And then Haziel went and he smothered the face of Ben-Hadad and killed him. Okay? Ironically, when, <laughs> when Haziel himself had a son, he named him Ben-Hadad. Okay? Ben-Hadad means the son of Hadad. And Hadad was one of their gods that was like a god of storms and thunder. right? So it was like a common name. That's what Hadad is the, the name of that god. Ben-Hadad, the son of that god. So here Jehoahaz did doing evil in the sight of the Lord as the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, that made Israel sin. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Remember, we're talking about the northern kingdom now. Uh, and he delivered them into the hand of Haziel, king of, of Syria, and into the hand of his son, Ben-Hadad, all their days. So there was all this wars and fighting going on. So Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel because, of the, king of, because the king of Syria oppressed them. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before. So you see interestingly here, contrary to what Joash had done in the south, that whenever they were being attacked by the Syrians, instead of just giving up everything to them so that they would leave, here it says, what did Joash do? He pleaded with the Lord and the Lord listened to him. So even though it, it's, it's so interesting, like, like, Joash starts out as this uh, righteous king, turns into evil, and then he gets killed because everybody hates him for all that he's done. Didn't ask God for, um, for, for his protection whenever they were being attacked by the Syrians. Here, this man, Jehoahaz, it says from the very beginning that he sinned against God, and he, was, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, right? But when God sent the, 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 the Syrians against him, he did what? He, he pleaded with the Lord. And actually, that was the whole reason that God even allowed the Syrians to come anyway. God is not seeking to destroy Israel. If God wanted to, see, to destroy Israel, they would be destroyed. There was, there was no, at least at this time, eventually they will be completely wiped out by the Assyrians in 722 BC. But at this point, God is still giving them opportunities. He's still telling them, look, you still have a chance. You can still repent. Um, I'm, I'm setting up the Syrians against you, but I'm setting them up against you, not because I hate you or I want to destroy you, but because I want you to return, right? So here when, even though Jehoahaz being an evil king, <coughs> being an evil king, pleads with the Lord, it says the Lord listened to him. It says something about who the Lord listens to. Like the Lord listens to anyone who seeks him. You know, sometimes we think that when we are in a, in a you know, in a, in, in a sin, committed a certain sin, and we try to call out to God for help that somehow God is going to say to us, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know you, right? But here, like anyone who makes any effort to try to come back to God again, any, any the smallest effort to say, you know what, like I am in need of God, maybe this is the means by which this person would be saved. 
that that when the when the Lord responds, that they would see the compassion and the mercy of God, and they would change. So it says here, the Lord sent. Uh, then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer, so that they escaped from under the hand of the Syrians. This deliverer is not mentioned who the deliverer is, um, but it's likely an Assyrian king called Adad Nirari the Third. Some people believe that this is the so not Syrian king, but Assyrian. Assyrian is the Persians, right? Assyrians, right? So the Syrians are. Ben Hadad and Haziel and these from Syria. The Assyrians are the Persians, okay, as as being potentially the deliverer that God is, is sending in order to help Israel defeat the Syrians. Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin, but walked in them, and the wooden image also remained in Samaria. So even though that the people were delivered. They didn't use this as the opportunity to change, right? When a, when a person is in need and they feel like they are um, they are being oppressed or there's some kind of trouble and they call out to God and God r responds sometimes instead of saying, you know what, out of my gratitude toward God, out of my thankfulness for God, I need to change my life, I need to transform, I need to change the direction that I'm going. Instead, we say, okay, thank God for the relief. Now I can go back to my life again the way that it was, right? And this is the problem. That even though God had delivered them, they didn't see this as a wake-up call for them. They didn't consider that they are just so weak and fragile, and it is only through the hand of God that protects them. Instead, they saw that, okay, well, we are safe now, so we feel the freedom to sin. We feel the freedom to live our life as we choose. For he left of the army of Jehoahaz only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz, all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So the, 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 the war, even though they were delivered and they won the war against Syria, but they were left with a very sparse, very weak, very small army. Okay, Only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers, right? For the king of Syria had destroyed them, right? So they were very weakened at this point, even though they had won but they were um, very, very weakened. So Jehoahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then, and yes, it's another Joash, <laughs> his son reigned in his place. Okay? Yes. The king of Syria had destroyed them. So they had, a f they had a, an actual war with him, but then the Assyrians came and helped them or yes. the war didn't happen no they had a war okay. they had a war but the assyrians were on the side of the israelites and helped them to defeat the syrians but but at a high cost it wasn't it was they they lost a lot of people okay okay so jehoahaz okay he died and he had a son named joash but this is not the same joash very, this is a different Joash. This is the Joash from the north. The other Joash was the Joash from the south. Okay? And this Joash was evil from the beginning. And he was not a child king. Okay? In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah. Okay. So <laughs> All right. So, number one. Remember that Joash and Jehoash are interchangeable. 
Remember that there are two Joashes, the north and the south. The south is the one we talked about before. So now he's saying, in order to give us the time frame of when the northern Joash is, because he came after the, the previous one, he's saying, in the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, the, young, the one we already talked about, in the 37th year, the Joash from the north, who is the son of Jehoahaz, became king over Israel and Samaria, uh, Samaria and reigned 16 years. So again, if we're going to look at this again, okay? So on the right there, you see Jehu, which we talked about last time. Jehoahaz, who is the one we just finished talking about. And then his son, who became king, Jehoash or Joash. Okay? On the left side, on the kingdom of Judah, there is the, uh, the Joash that came after Ataliah, and then his son after him, Amaziah. Okay? So he's saying the, Jehoa the Joash on the right in the kingdom of Israel, what is the time frame of his rule relative to the Joash on the left, which is the kingdom of Judah? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, when they gave, when they named each other, they weren't expecting us to study them. Uh, <laughs> but, but uh, no, I don't know why. I don't know why the names are so similar like this. I mean, people tend to name their children after like an ancestor or a father or a grandfather or something. Maybe there's repetition to the names because they are just reusing the same names or variations of the names uh, again and again. But I, I don't know. I don't know why. Like variations of the name of God. Yeah. Okay. So this Joash king in, in, the, in the north... He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, who made Israel sin, but walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash, see there's not a lot about him, so we don't have to stay on him long. All the rest of the acts of Joash, all that he did, and his might, with which he fought against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Joash rested with his fathers. Then, and another name that's repeated, Jeroboam sat on his throne, and Joash was buried in Samaria with king of, of Israel. So we refer to this Jeroboam as Jeroboam the second, whereas the first Jeroboam at the very beginning, Jeroboam the first. Okay, this is the second, Jeroboam the second. So Jeroboam the second, he's king of the north or the south? The north, king of the north. Now we hear about our friend Elisha again. It actually by now, Elisha has been serving for 65 years, and the last time we heard of about him chronologically in the, in the book of the uh, Second Kings, it was 43 years ago. So it's been a long time since it was since Elisha was mentioned. All these things, all the rulers of the, the, these kings after king after king and wars and all these stuff is happening, right? And there is no mention of Elisha during any of that. So that 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 was 43 years ago was the last time that Elisha was mentioned. Okay. When, um, so it says, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, O oh my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Now, this Joash, just, just here, okay, this is the Joash that just died, and Jeroboam the second. He's his son. He became king. So we're now backed up a little bit before Joash died. 
This is the Joash from the north. The Joash from the north, which of him was said what? Um, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, did not repart from all those sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, and all of that. And you can tell definitely that he was a big fan of Jeroboam because he named his son Jeroboam. Okay? So, <clears throat> so this king was an evil king. But it says that what when he knew that Elisha the prophet was going to die, it says what he came down to him, wept over him and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Okay. So though Joash was evil, and yet he still loved the prophet. You know, he still loved the prophet of God. There is something about like truly like a person who is the man of God, okay, that it is possible even for the evildoers to love him because his way of dealing with people is one of love. Like he can deal with people in a loving way while still rebuking them for their sins, right? Th someone can sense the love that someone would have for them. Like there are many stories in the church, for instance, of like kings uh, who had like uh, aides or, or, or other people who were like, like Coptic, like faithful people and they, they sensed from them like their faithfulness. They sensed from them their obedience, their submission, their humility. They, like, so they had love for them, right? They had love for them. They didn't love what they believed. They didn't agree with what they believed. But, but as a person, they would have love for them for their character and who, who they were, okay? So, um, so here, uh, uh, Joash, even though he is an evil king, still has this love for Elisha, the man of God. So one thing we can learn from this is when we go and we preach the word of God, we preach righteousness to people, it doesn't mean that we should make them hate us, right? Like it doesn't mean that because we are, are, we are against them as people, we're not against them as the people, we are against their works, right? But we are for them as people. Actually, why is it that we even go to preach? We go to preach because we are for them. We are not against them. So... If the idea, the idea of me going to preach to those people who are living in darkness, that I do so out of love, means that I am showing love to those people and I want to win them and I should be compassionate and kind and patient and, 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 and serving and giving. they would notice this genuine love and that this genuine love could be the means of change and repentance for those people. And this is certainly what Elisha was, right, for, for everyone. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Elisha was going to do one last miracle of his life and then he's going to do another miracle after he dies. Um, says, then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the, uh, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of the deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. So he, he told the king to open up the east window and to take a bow and arrow and to shoot an arrow out through the window toward the east. The east is the direction of Syria relative to Israel. Syria is to the east. So this arrow was like sim symbolizing the military strength of Israel to defeat Syria. Okay? 
and 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 that's why he had him do it so this is part of the symbol of this prophecy that he is doing then he said take the arrows so he took them and he said to the king of israel strike the ground so he struck three times and stopped so elisha told him to take the arrows from the in the bow and arrow and to shoot the ground with the with the arrows um and he didn't tell him the number of times he just said strike the ground so the king joash he struck the ground three times with the arrows and the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. So he was he was saying that the the like the king when he was following what Elisha was asking him to do, that only doing it three times reflected a lack of faith. Like maybe he didn't uh, understand why Elisha was asking to do this. He didn't believe there was any value in what is it he was doing. So he kind of had the attitude where I'm just going to, okay, I'm going to do it three times and I'm done, right? As opposed to maybe if he really believed and he understood what it is that Elisha was telling him that he would keep f shooting, right? Um, and, and maybe we can kind of like uh, understand this in the forms of like persistence, like persistence in prayer. Like when we are persistent with God, we don't just pray once or twice. We pray over and over and over because we feel like that prayer has an effect. Like prayer, that God is hearing and listening to the prayers that we are offering him and it is not a useless or fruitless activity. And, we, and that, of course, is coming from our faith that we believe that this is, in fact, that God is hearing. Then Elisha died and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was, as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down, he touched the bones of Elisha, he revived, and stood on his feet. Okay? So this event was that after Elisha died, he was buried. Okay? He was buried, um, like, in a cave. Okay? In a tomb. And it so happened at some point later in the future that there was this band of like raiding bands from Moab that invaded the land. And so um, they were burying someone. And the, by, by coincidence, it so happened that this person who had died and they were burying touched the bones uh, uh, of, of Elisha. Okay. And so they, they hid him in the same place where Elisha was buried. Um, and, 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 and he touched the bones of Elisha. And so what happened to him is he came back to life again. What is the reason for, what is the significance, right, of this? Why is this something important? It shows how God honors his servants. Like, it shows how God, like, like w from, a, from a human perspective, um, maybe it's difficult for us to see how something that is dead could have any power, right? Um, whereas God grants his, even his bones power. We read about in the scripture about how like the shadow or the handkerchief of St. Peter or St. Paul could perform miracles, could cast out demons. Why? Because God is bringing, is bringing attention to these servants of his so that people will listen to them, follow them, imitate their way of life, right? And here God is saying, Elisha, I accepted him. He was my servant. Live like him. Follow what is it that he said, okay? Um, St. John Chrysostom 
says, it is not only the bodies of the saints, but even their tombs are full of spiritual grace. For as in the case of Elisha, when a corpse happened to touch the tomb, the chains of death were loosened and he returned to life. Now, therefore, as the grace became more abundant and the energy of the spirit became greater, by touching the tomb with faith, we can have a great strength. Hence, God allowed us to care for the remains of the saints, longing for us to imitate them, to give us a kind of refuge and a secure haven from the evil all around us. This is also why in the church we have relics of the saints. We don't have any in our church here, but there are many churches that have relics, meaning leftover remains, a piece of bone or a piece of hair or something that had been certified to have come from a certain saint and had been passed down. Um, and, and we keep it in the church for people to take its blessing and to touch it, right? What is the effect of touching it? We, we can't enumerate it. Like we don't, we can't say for sure what, what's happening, right? But it's clear that God grants some blessing from those righteous that even touching their remains makes a difference. This is also um, why we um, practice the intercession of the saints. We say that God has granted such favor to a certain group of his servants that, that when we seek their prayers, like it says about Elijah, for instance, like the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So if, if, if the prayer of Elijah could be such that he prays that, the, that, that, that it doesn't rain for three years and it doesn't rain, and then he prays again that it rains and it rains. So if God is so attentive to the prayer of Elijah, so when we intercede, we ask him to intercede for us, meaning we tell, we ask Elijah, can you pray for us? We believe that his prayers are powerful and his prayers are effective. Does that mean that if we ask Elijah to pray for us, God is going to give us absolutely anything we ask for? No, right? But, but God seeks us to pursue the prayers of those righteous. And who decides that they are righteous? It's actually God himself. Meaning, how is it that we even define who is a saint and who is not? How is it here that God made it known that Elijah's, Elisha was a faithful servant of God? If no one knew Elisha and who he was, but you would see that anyone who touches the bones of Elisha comes back to life, you would be like, okay, this is a special person. Like, this is not a regular person. Right? There is something about this person. If I touch the bones of Elisha, something good will happen. If, if, I, if I ask Elisha to pray for me, that's good. You know? So this is why in the church we practice this. This is why we venerate the icons. This is why we ask for the intercession of the saints. This is because God is the one who has revealed the glory. It is not a man-made glory that we give. It is not because we as a church have decided that we want to impart glory to a specific person and say, we, we think this person has glory. We think that this person is great and we want to put them above us in a pedestal and we want to venerate them. No, it's actually God is the one who did so. You know, in the book of Job, after the friends of Job are arguing with Job the entire book, right? And then at the end, God is displeased with the friends of Job because they have not spoken what is right. And so they, they, he tells them, what, go and ask Job to pray for you and I will hear his prayer and forgive your sin. So why did God even say this? God could have just said, ask me to forgive your sin. But he said, no, I want to highlight and I want to give glory to Job. That it is only through the prayers of Job that you will be forgiven. Okay. So, so God in many, many, many uh, instances and times, um, he, 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 he reveals the glory that he gives to certain people. The, the grace that he has given to them, and then he tells all of us, go to this person. This person has something that I have given that I want to give it to you, but I'm going to give it to you through them. And this is what an intercessor is. Intercessor is a person that I, I get blessing from God through them. 
and it is not because we have decided that we want it that way. It's because God has chosen it to be this way. He has chosen. Come, go, go to this person and you will receive blessing through them. And Haziel, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. But the Lord was gracious to them, had compassion on them, and regarded them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not yet destroy them or cast them from his presence. Now Haziel, king of Syria, died. Then Ben-Hadad, his son, reigned in his place. And Jehoahaz, the son of Jehoahaz, captured from the, the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz, his father by war. Three times Joash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel. So even here it's mentioning how many times did Israel defeat Syria? Three times. The three times for the three arrows that he struck the ground with, which is why Elisha said you should have gone five or six or more times so that otherwise then you would have completely destroyed Syria but because you only did it three times you'll only defeat them three times so this is in fact um, the three times that is mentioned okay and glory be to God forever amen any questions about um, Elisha. Uh, so basically, and I, I think you had mentioned this before, but it really, like, it, it comes to mind when we read this miracle um, about the bones and the rising, of the, the, the man rising. So Elijah is a, is a symbol of, in the New Testament, of John the Baptist, right? Um, and Elijah handle, ha gave his mantle to Elisha, right? So that makes Elisha a symbol of Christ, right? Because Elijah s symbolized the forerunner, right? So, and and when you read the miracles of Elisha, all of them, almost all of them, have something to do with or are telling some kind of truth that we realize in the Old Testament that is fulfilled in Christ. Um, and so, all the miracles of Elisha can be looked at. So, from the very beginning, you know, one of his first miracles was. He fed 100 people with loaves, right? And that's like a, when the feeding of the multitude. And then he, um, there was um, there was one miracle where there was an axe in the water, and then to get the axe up, he threw a piece of wood. The wood is a symbol of the cross that Christ used um, uh, to raise humanity. And then in the end, um, now we see like his bones. So through his death, he raises someone from the dead, right? And that's a symbol of Christ's. Um, the, what Christ does, uh, Christ's death did for us, right? It raised us from the dead. That's it. Any other questions or comments? Okay, can pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing. We ask, O God, that you help us to learn very, very important principles and um, the patterns of life of your holy prophets, of how they lived and dedicated their lives to you, and their life was completely focused on you and not on themselves or on their own pursuits, but you worked in them for the sake and the good of all of your people. 
We ask, O Lord, that through the work of your Holy Spirit in us, that you work in us, and that during this time of the Apostles' Fast, we remember the establishment of the Church and the work of the Holy Spirit in the Church and how the Holy Spirit works in us to prepare us to be vessels for, for going out into the world and preaching and bringing your people to yourself. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints here as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.